0: Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast, the first national angel group founded online in 1997, dedicated to perpetuating free enterprise, capitalism, and supporting the American dream. In addition, Angel Investors Network is the organization behind the powerful Mastermind Investment Club, dedicated to harnessing the philosophy of a mastermind to increase success with their investment portfolio. Laura Rubenstein is a social media and marketing strategist and founder of the Social Buzz Club. On the podcast, Laura brings together successful entrepreneurs to share with you how they grow their business, and you can too. And now, here's your host, Laura Rubenstein. Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast, moving your startup business to the next level. I'm Laura Rubenstein, and I'd like to welcome Eugene Levin. Chief Strategy Officer of SEM Rush to the podcast. Hi, Eugene.
1: Hi, Laura. It's great to be here.
0: Great to have you here. And just a little bit of bio so our listeners know today a little bit about you that after you joined um, the company SEM Rush as tre- Chief Strategy Officer. You helped to quadruple the company revenue and raise over $40 million for tier, from Tier 1 investors, which is great. And it, I'd also like to let our viewers know that Eugene started his venture capitalist career in a small regional firm, and that actually made it down to the Forbes top 10 Russian VC firms in 2013, and then worked at a large global firm, Target Global, before he left to join where you are now, uh, SEM Rush. So thank you again for being here. I wanted to jump right in with a question for you about how you even got started in the venture capitalist world.
1: Yeah, so that, that's quite a good question, and yeah. Um, um, it was not very straightforward because my back, background before that was mostly engineering project management and you know i used to be an analyst for some period of time it was not related to venture capital or any kind of finance in any way and then my friend started a vc firm with, with his partners and they needed someone to you know you know help to run the firm because you know, partners do deals, but it's, you know, an analyst and associates actually make things happen. So, so they needed someone to to do all this, you know, dirty work. Um, and the problem was it was super young market uh, in in you know in the country where, where we operated. So you could not just go and hire people from the market. There was just nobody to hire. So so my friend just approached me and said, Hey, I need I need someone to help me with this new new firm that I'm building. And I said, that sounds kind of cool, but I have no experience in this area whatsoever. And uh, he said, you know, it's better to have someone who I, I can trust and I know will work hard than to gamble and try to get someone from the market. And in general, you know, I've I've spent with this firm like roughly three years and, and um you know I started as analyst and then was promoted to associate, then to partner uh, after I actually helped the firm to make some money. Um but it was great experience and what I've learned is that venture capital um especially seed in early stages do not necessarily require very, very deep knowledge of finance to the point where I would say um, someone with product experience or, you know, very good marketing experience would be maybe even better fit than, um, you know, accountant who's, who is kind of from finance background, but, but do not understand how, you know, internet companies work. Uh, and from this point of view, I, probably had quite a good background I, I had some experience in, in analytics some experience in product management and some experience in um, in marketing so so I understood understood businesses in general from different aspects uh, and and everything else I just learned by talking to people from other firms uh, we had great network of advisors and, and great partners who teach, you know taught me a lot. Yeah, and then, then in a second firm, it was already much easier because I it, it knew all the all the new answers. And also, also I would say in the bigger firm, uh, analytics starts matter much more because you you know companies you invest in have more data. So so there is actually something that you can assess. Nice. And and that was so so from this point of view, it was even even easier.
0: So uh-huh. looking back on your journey. Um, were there some pivotal decisions you made that really grew your career and helped to grow those businesses?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think the, the pivotal moment was to get uh, out of con- comfort zone, right. And, and change your area completely because at that point, you know, it was a huge gamble with new firm uh, it was first time firm. So, so partners never had another firm before that, which is very risky for venture capital in general, and um, and I had to put on hold my, you know, other uh, career, uh, knowing that there might be probability that you know while I'll go and try to pursue VC career, I may lose skills. So, so, so my, you know career might be irrelevant previous career might be irrelevant after that so so i think that was the pivotal moment to, to mm-hmm. make this decision to kind of just just give up something that expand previous 20 something years working on so.
0: so ever since you joined the venture capitalist world um and now that you're the chief strategy officer at sem rush what do you think contributes most to the success you have
1: um. Yeah, that, that's that's hard to say. Um. Do you do, just to clarify? Like, do you mean um, what what contributes most? Uh, to my Personal you, success. Or, okay.
0: Yeah, well, the company's success and what knowledge did you gain yeah. that really can help you? That helps you grow this company and give the strategies you do.
1: Okay. Um. I I think that. During you know all, all previous careers and, and you know we didn't even talk about you know the part where I left VC firms and built built couple startups more, more like lifestyle businesses.
0: Oh, that feel free really, to yeah.
1: yeah yeah. But 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 during all those things and working with many many portfolio companies, I learned uh, how to how to see businesses from very different angles. And I think that's that's kind of eventually gives you um, unfair advantage over someone who, who never had a privilege to look at different different types of businesses. So so from this point of view, I can look at SEM Rush and try to apply things that I've seen with other businesses, even though for someone who have been with you know who worked only in search engine marketing industry. Uh, might be counterintuitive, um, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of um, what helps a lot to drive really interesting strategy, because if you look at the at the market uh, where we operate, I think we are doing many things not the way other people are doing this. Specifically, um, I think I think our our strategy to build all in one solution where you get more than 30 really great point solution quality things on on just entry-level plan. I think that's something that was very counterintuitive to many people who we talked to. And, and everyone, everyone I talked to was suggesting that we need to do, you know, a la carte. So, so people can buy things separately. And we never wanted to do this. And I think eventually that's what made us you know, biggest company in, in a very competitive space. Um, so, but, but the reason we were not afraid to do this is because we, we saw this working in many other areas, not necessarily in software as a service area. Um, like like when, when you bundle many, many things in one subscription, that kind of increases value of the whole uh, and, and, and helps you get more customers. So you're not properly monetizing every single customer, but your solution as a whole is much more attractive to the end customer. And you know, there, there are many other, other areas that are using this from um, like regular subscription businesses, like offline subscription businesses to you know, companies like Netflix who are building uh, in-house content to make the value of the whole subscription bigger like you know could they sell same thing for 10 dollars $10, um without their proprietary content probably yes but with this content because it becomes kind of more of a no-brainer
0: yep it becomes more um compelling it and grow you know because you can't get it anywhere else it's exclusive right that content
1: yeah I- I I mean, yeah, exclusivity is also, is also a part, but, um, I think, I think even if if it was just, you know, from, you know, exclusivity is very important for certain people, Mm -hmm. much less important for some other people because there is still only 24 hours a day that I can watch Netflix and not, you know, not not every day because I have to sleep (laughs) that they kind of joke that that sleep is their biggest competitor. Um, so, so, but still, I, I think that the, the key value proposition is just getting so much stuff that that you cannot even possibly see for a very reasonable fee. Mm-hmm. Exclusivity is more of the way they they're fighting um, the risk of some content providers cutting them from this content. So, so they're kind of mitigating this risk. Okay, if if we ever have a problem with those guys and they don't don't give us this content, we'll be fine. I think that's that's more of a goal.
0: Gotcha.
1: Yes. So
0: I like that that the nitty gritty here. So what now? So what would you say you love most about doing this strategy?
1: Um. uh, To To be honest, I think that the best part of my job is that. I have time to think that that's actually what I'm paid to do. I, I, if, if I, if I sit the whole day and don't write any, any single word, I'm still doing my job. So I think that's, that's kind of the best part that I can have time to, to kind of understand what's going on, how we should react to certain things. And, uh, and, and this is, you know, from one point of view, huge responsibility, but from other point of view, there is no, not that much, you know, day to day constant pressure. You know, unlike, you know, what you have in, if you're a salesperson, you have quota, you need to hit it. You know, being in strategy is is kind of allows you to, to think more. And then that's what I like in general, just learn about things, um, and then, then uh, make conclusions how how we can apply those things in our business.
0: What do you see in other businesses? Some common mistakes that they make when growing in growth phases.
1: Um, that that would highly depend on the stage of the business, because the, the, there are like landmark mistakes that people make in different stages. So I, I'll just go probably from the beginning, right? Okay. So. So the first mistake um, people make uh, is is misunderstanding of what is product market fit and how to find it. Um, some people will be will be searching for it too long before they even launch a product. Uh, they 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 kind of miss miss any any financial trajectory because they delay launch. They're not learning. From actual users, they're trying to polish something based on very marginal group of users who maybe have like early access or, you know, some kind of opinion leaders or internal group, uh, you know, in R&D. And when they finally ready to go to the market, it's just maybe too late or they're learning that all their concerns were irrelevant. And actually the problem is much, much deeper with something very fundamental that they thought there would be no problem. Um, And and I think that's the problem. So the more regular approach that I suggest to do, and that's what we do when we launch new things. um, get it as, as fast as possible. Assume it solves the problem it was designed to solve so so you define the problem and then if you feel that it kind of solves the problem not necessarily in a perfect way just in any way then just launch it and get feedback and then iterate, so on um some people even say like if you're not ashamed of the product you launch then you over engineered it probably and just spend too much time. It's okay to be ashamed when you launch, uh, launch it first time. You'll have time to polish it later if it works fundamentally. If it solves the problem, so that's probably the first problem we see a lot. Uh, the second one is premature scaling. So, so you feel that you found product market fit. The product solves the problem. So you spend maybe maybe two, three, four, five months, and then you say, okay, now I scale it. I think everything is good. I'm going to scale it, and and to do this, you may need very significant amount of money. Uh, certain products uh, very inefficient in their go-to-market strategy, like anything in enterprise uh, software space. Like, and I mean, when I say in enterprise software space, I mean something that is tens of thousands of dollars per year. I'm not you know, talking about something like Rush that you can sell online, but if you're in enterprise software space, then uh, you need sales teams. Um, Salespeople are hard to hire, hard to onboard. You, You make tons of hiring errors, and if you want to scale quickly, you need to have a lot of salespeople. So, so that's what we, we see very often. People have like some early success, then they go, raise a bunch of capital, hire a lot of salespeople, just to figure out that sometimes a early indication was not enough to actually make a call. So so people start churning after, you know, one year or year one, you know, a year and a half. And uh, and and um that's not something you can learn in three months. If your product is designed, you know, to, for, to make significant amount of users churn after first year or year, first two years, it's not something you're going to learn very fast. Um, it just requires time to get this knowledge. And and then sometimes they figure out that they had early traction within, within a subset of early adopters who are very, very relevant audience, but they cannot generate traction outside of this relevant audience. And, and and in many cases, when you when they discover it, it's just already too late, burned too much cash, hired too much people, and and you know sometimes it's like game over, sometimes not, but that's that's just second really really big mistake. And then the third big mistake. Is when you are already in a growth stage. Um, so so you solved all the all the previous problems. You know it's scalable. You know there is product market fit. Then the third big problem that that I see a lot is lack of focus. Because if you have something that can can get it to like I hundred million in revenue, that that just should be. 100% of your time. And some people will too early go and say, okay, we need to diversify. We need to, to do A, B, and C to, to minimize risks, to, I don't know, prove that it can be not just this one thing. So if, if you feel that, that your you know, core business is, is not that big, then yeah, sure, it's, it's, it's okay to scale it to a certain level and, and focus on other things, and keep it, you know, keep them kind of as a side project. So maybe at some point they can become main project, and your, you know, first business becomes cash cow to fund those initiatives. That might be fine. Uh, fine, but but if you believe that you're doing something right, it's scalable. The risk, product, market fit. Then it should be like all you focus on until you get to the point, you know, you know, let's say hundred million in revenue. Where, yes, at that point, it's okay to start, start diversifying. You kind of improved. You have huge business. Now, now you can go and try to do other things. But before that, if you believe there is a potential, that, that should be, like, all your time. That, that's that's my, my opinion. But I've seen many companies just, just focusing on too many things, not getting anything done, and, and, and then losing the core core thing in the process. Um
0: keeping the main thing the main thing.
1: Right. Right.
0: <laughs> exactly. So um what is the best advice you've ever received?
1: Oh, it's hard to say. I mean I mean I I had a privilege to work with many, many great people. Um I guess the best advice I received was was not to try change people, mm. and that's I think something that that saved me a lot of time and 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 helped me to look different in in all kind of uh, situations so so when when I have to negotiate something, I'm not trying to to teach anyone to do anything. I'm instead trying to get in their shoes and see, okay. If I am this person, how this whole situation looks to me, mm-hmm. and yeah, th- this just allowed me to avoid a lot of, you know, let's say conflicts. Now, on the other hand, that probably cut me f- from from certain opportunities, right? But um, I, think I, it's I, wise I just <laughs> I, yeah, but I, I just feel that that you know it's... Even if you have like like really best intents, I w- I would not try to change people. That's yeah. ex- it's just too complicated, too much time, very unpredictable results, and 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 in many cases you're the bad guy. You end up being the bad guy.
0: So. Mm, if you try to change that's, somebody else, that's yeah. probably yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the best advice, you know, in general. That but. But I think that's that's something that that helped make my life more comfortable in general.
0: Nice. Well, you know your your wisdom that you've been given that you've had the opportunity to work with it obviously shows through, and so I'd love to know what advice you'd like to give to a you know rising entrepreneur and venture capital company.
1: Yeah. So so my advice would be always learn, always just, just, just be very, very greedy for knowledge. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, something that I've learned that, you know, the bigger your company gets, the more growth you have, the harder it is to, to keep up with the pace. At some points you you just find that you're running as fast as you can and you technically just stay in kind of the same place you were. Um, and, and at the, especially in those kind of moments, you just, you just have to push through and continue learning, continue being better person, better professional, and, um, and just never stop learning. Lovely. That's, that's my advice.
0: So in the vein of learning more and, um, what are you seeing that's working maybe for s e m rush in attracting more business in the marketing sense
1: so in a marketing sense um our approach is um kind of kind of very very simple uh in a way in a way you say it but it's very hard in a way to follow it so the 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 in general idea is is that you obviously need some kind of high level targets you know, where you want to be, but you don't necessarily have exact plan because marketing changes so fast that having any like long-term step-by-step plan in most cases makes no sense. So, between a target and what you're doing today, we always suggest to set up small, like two week iterations and run experiments, like as many experiments as you can. And then what whatever works, then you just double down and invest more in it until, you know, economics works. Whatever doesn't work, okay, you've just spent two weeks. Um, and, and then... With this mindset, don't be afraid to burn money on on certain marketing initiatives because eventually, you know, ultimately this is just a cost of getting information. Because something doesn't work, it's still information. And you, okay, you you've paid for it, you you feel bad because you burned money, but you should not because you learn something new, which is okay. This doesn't work. I'll try something else. Um, that that's kind of our approach in general. Um, I can I can talk about many details and how we do this uh, because we, we do we do it in a very very scalable way um, with very flat flat structure where we operate as small teams roughly six people and and team is kind of focused on on very specific mission like like we can have email marketing team they do only email marketing help other teams to do email marketing we may have. Um, Italian team, like the goal of this team is to drive growth in Italy. Um, So, and and we are pretty, you know, we we have, I think, um, like hundred people divided into groups of like roughly six people in a team, sometimes less, sometimes maybe a little bit more. And, And every team has their kind of own area, like area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. and within this area of responsibility they can do like pretty much whatever they want they have a target but we we don't tell them how we expect them to reach this target they're supposed to produce certain number of tests and and by by test you know try and error figure out the way to this goal
0: is there a recent win you can share with us a test that was positive it-
1: I mean everything is positive like, Well, it says that had
0: some growth results.
1: So so we, so just just to clarify we we are kind of very high growth company. So so yes, the you know if if you're talking like about specific teams um yeah, the, the most of the teams show very strong results otherwise you know they stop being teams, you know. You, you you don't want to to keep people who are not Delivering results in a company in general. So, um, so the people who work <laughs> still work in our know, company doing great in general. Uh, recent wins, you know, just just specify like in what area is it? You know, do you want me to share something from PR or something from digital marketing or sure, you know, just, digital just marketing, some hacks. and
0: email marketing hacks. Yes.
1: Okay, so. So in in PR, um, one of the very effective strategies that we are doing now is is kind of kind of data enrichment of the, of the content. So so we discover some topics that the journalist would like to cover. We offer them on demand uh, any data they may need to make their point, like. Um, Someone for example is writing about Brexit um, which is you know hot topic everyone wants to write about Brexit. so we will go and say um, you know what people are concerned during this period like a lot of people probably concerned about um, their you know if they're from European Union they may be concerned about their ability to work in UK. So that will produce um, certain increase in specific searches. We can give you the data to show um, that the you know, volumes of those searches rises. So, mm. so you can make your point that um, Brexit is impacting situation in certain areas with, with let's say, European Union citizens living in UK, and it's you know fundamentally maybe not. Not not the best thing for them to happen. So and, and you know with this specific case uh, with Brexit, I think it went to BBC uh, TV. So so they actually showed graphs, you know, S M brush graphs that that show that people are getting much more concerned about situation. Mm. Um, that's that's one of the PR cases that that I recall like from top of my head. Mm. So what was what was next? Uh, social media or what?
0: Digital media, yeah. Sure.
1: digital so in digital um, you know, we are now investing much more money in um, in uh, social media advertising right and it's very hard to crack for a b2b company to do good performance based um, b2b marketing in Facebook it's just mm-hmm. not necessarily you know, designed for it because people don't necessarily have purchase intent so you have to implement um, those ads very carefully uh, to kind of drive person through the journey, but because you, you kind of need to work with people in different stages of funnel and you want to have multiple touch points, it's it certain be extremely hard to track. And then the, the you know another thing is that sometimes uh, you, you, you use formats like video. And people may see the video, but they don't go to your website, so so you're not catching clicks. So it's very hard to attribute impact. And one thing we recently did with Facebook, and that's something they like heavily promote for those cases, was conversion lift measurement. It's like incrementality test, where you run the same kind of campaigns. Um, sorry, you, you do the same targeting for two groups. You have control group, and then you have um, the group where you show ads. And then you measure number of conversions within two groups, knowing that the only difference between groups was was if they saw the ad or not. Um, you can kind of define what was the uplift in conversions related to ads that, that people have seen. And this allows, for example, us to to understand the real value of the channel and start investing more Knowing that that we can attribute more customers to this channel, that's one of the mm-hmm. interesting things. But that's something you can do only if you have really big budgets. That's that's yeah. also you know one of the problem with those was those you know tricks that I'm sharing because um, you know to to have your data in you know on the BBC uh, you have to be SM Rush right you you, yeah. you cannot do this if you if you're a three month old company. Um, and to test incrementality, you need very big budgets. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure like, um, yeah, listeners will, will leverage those insights. Seems like I'm just bragging. I mean,
0: (laughs) well, no, it's great strategies and it makes you think about, well, what could you do? Is there anything on email marketing side that might be scalable down or up?
1: Um, yeah, so on email marketing, uh, actually, um, you know, t- tons and tons of things. Uh, but what we what we encourage now, as, you know, encourage in a way that like we suggest other people to do, uh, because we tried and and we feel it works, is um, you know just 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 get rid of templates. Mm. So, so all those you know nice shiny templates. Uh, they are okay for certain types of communication like newsletters you probably still won't have them you know looking kind of official but for all other you know, ways of communication we, we suggest to have like like a real person who kind of not like SCM rush team person but some actual person with a name and identity and and, and we suggest yeah and we suggest like no template and just plain text because people you know kind of kind of really really annoyed with all those uh, templates they want more genuine conversations um, another another thing that we we didn't try to the full scale but but I understand that that might be a, you know very good strategy in future is to sort of replacing certain email marketing communications with uh, Facebook messenger communications. Mm-hmm. It requires a little bit different sign-up funnel, but because um, messenger channel is not saturated the way email marketing is saturated, then open rates are just order of magnitude different.
0: Yeah,
1: like like the test we tried on a very limited samples suggests uh, ten times difference in open rates. So, so so vir- virtually like like half of people on messenger will will read your message at least. So that's something that you can never achieve with with classic email marketing, especially if you're doing just email blasts and nothing like personal.
0: Right. Well, those are great insights and secrets that people can kind of take away and get some ideas from. I really appreciate your your wisdom and sharing what's been most effective. Um, Is there any, what's the greatest marketing challenge you all face now?
1: So our biggest challenge is is kind of function of of the strength that we have. So so because because we operate with with many many kind of independent teams that allows us to try many things simultaneously and learn a lot about market customers, you know what works, what doesn't work. Uh the downside of this approach is that People might be not very well synchronized. Mm. Um, so it's not like a challenge, it's, it's just it's kind of evolution. So now we are we're kind of trying to add additional synchronization layers to, to connect, you know, to make sure that people who need to know certain information will get it and, and would be able to use it in their campaigns. And, uh, and also, we are trying to run more campaigns that that will um involve many teams so um especially you know on the products side if we have some kind of product marketing campaign we want as many teams to be involved um that's that's, that's you know i i wouldn't call it challenges because we kind of solve solve them <laughs> we're but working I,
0: on them yes
1: yeah but, that's great but
0: so, is there anything you wish I had asked that you'd like to share today?
1: Um, <laughs> that's 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 a tough one. What I wanted to share. Um,
0: Any piece of advice you want to leave people with?
1: Yeah, like okay, okay. Um, listen, what I want to share: uh, if if you know great people who want to work in a great company, you know we are hiring. That's, that's probably the uh-huh, There thinking. you go.
0: <laughs> Terrific. Well, that's a great place to end. And I thank you for all your wisdom and for the amount of detail you went into. It's been a really rich conversation. And thank you for taking the time.
1: Thank you. It was great to be here.
0: We'll be back with another episode of Angel Investors Network podcast really soon in an iTunes app near you. Bye for now. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.